1963, you would hear something like that. There would be people running the aisles, <laughs> praising God, waving handkerchiefs, giving praise and glory to our Lord. Thank you, my friend. Psalm 2. Psalm chapter 2. <clears throat> Thank you, Ablaze, for your ministry among us tonight. Thank you, Grace, as always. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in His anger and terrifies them in His wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, ye rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate His rule with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in Him. Heavenly Father, what a night. What an incredible environment in which we find ourselves this evening. We have been blessed beyond measure. And I thank you for the songs that we have sung corporately and for the music that has been presented by these very gifted and talented young people, and my brother, Brian Arner. And now we come to the Word of God. And Father, I know that you laid this truth on my heart for someone in this place tonight. For in a congregation this size, it stands to reason that there are some among us who have not yet really clearly made the decision of their lives the decision to kiss the Son, to make Him the ultimate object of their affection. And I pray tonight that this would be a hallmark night in the life of someone, some teenager, some young adult, yes, and even some adult that might be among us who does not know the peace of God in their heart. So come, Holy Spirit, and give me liberty to speak, anointing, without which I cannot do this. I ask it in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know if you've discovered it or not, but words are very interesting items of study. Those who study languages 
have concluded that the English language is one of the most difficult languages to learn. And I think it's because of all the nuances that we find in our language. Let me give you a couple of examples. I am a Tar Heel by birth, a Hoosier by choice. And being from the South, it was a wonderful thing to sit down to a full table of Southern comfort cooking, fried chicken, real mashed potatoes, covered with chicken gravy, with a side of fried okra, black-eyed peas with a ladle of corn put on top of them, cornbread with what we call cow salve over to the side. That's butter. (laughs) Cathead biscuits as big as your hand. To sit down at a meal like that and consume it bite after bite after bite. And then when the meal is completed, to push back from the table and say something like this. My, that was awful good. How can something like that be awful and good at the same time? It makes no sense. It's an oxymoron. Or here's another example. My favorite season of the year is fall. Oh, during the spring of the year, we see the buds come on the trees out there, and then we begin to see them leaf out in the various colors of green that we can see right now. But in just a few months, we're going to see this incredible metamorphosis take place on all of these trees. People who even take long trips to the mountains to see what the trees have done. And we see those trees begin to change color. They change in the beautiful hues of yellow, red, and orange. And we are amazed at what we see as we look upon the vast array of colors during what we call the fall of the year. And then something begins to transpire after those colors have been presented by Mother Nature. We see those leaves begin to turn a rather drab brown. And then they begin to lose their grip on the limbs of those trees. And those of you who have trees in your yard, you know what they do next. They fall all over your yard. And you have to rake them up and collect them and get them off of your lawn. Now, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if leaves would do what their name implies. (laughs) Wouldn't it be great if they would just leave? I've often thought we all ought to call them stays. (laughs) Because that's all they ever do until you and I rake them up and get rid of them. So you see, the English language can be very 
very difficult from time to time. And when you break it down even into the spiritual realm, we have descriptive words and nouns that we use when it comes to our spiritual lives. For instance, you walk up to a person, perchance, in this service tonight, and you ask them this very simple question, are you a Christian? And they will look at you and they will give you some denominational identification. They'll say, well, I'm Baptist, or I am Pentecostal, or I am Catholic, or I am Methodist, or I am Nazarene, or I am Wesleyan. You ask a Christian. Here's another example. You ask a Christian, well, have you ever been baptized since believing in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you ever been baptized? And some will say, well, yes, I have been baptized, but then they have to clarify it. And you say, well, how were you baptized? And some will say, I was immersed in water. Our Church of Christ and Christian Church friends really like that mode of baptism. And then others will say, well, I had water poured on my head when I was baptized. And then there are others who will say in our Methodist churches and free Methodist churches, they practice sprinkling. And they will say, well, I had water sprinkled on my head. And then there are some of our Quaker friends who don't even believe in baptism. They believe in dry cleaning. And so they've never been baptized. So you see, we have all of these different phrases and all this language that we use, even in the spiritual realm. And I'm afraid that in the 21st century church, the title Christian has fallen on hard times. But I would say this without meaning to sound judgmental tonight, that there are many who claim the title of Christian who've never known the genuine experience of being born again. They really don't know what it is to have that life-changing, transformational act of grace that comes about through and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I wonder where that all comes from. And I'm not throwing stones tonight, but I think maybe it's from the decade of the 80s and the 90s, as we heard from my brother Gary Bond in one of his messages, how it seems like we tried to make the gospel as easy as possible, some kind of easy believism, so we can get people in the building and to fill the pew. But we must recognize that there, are, there is certain criteria when it comes to being a child of God, to really being born again. And it's more than just believing because you know what the Word of God has to say about that. It says that the demons believe and tremble. So just believing is not enough. I've come to camp meetings like this all of my life. My dad having been an evangelist. My dad preached many years ago at the old tabernacle in Circleville. And I was there with him. I was a senior in high school. And I remember men of God like my father, Morton Dorsey, John Church, and those great pulpiteers standing before congregation after congregation, and they would say things like this. You need to come and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. You may need to make the consecration complete. You need to come and die out. Put your all on the altar, they would say. And that's language we don't hear too much anymore. But what they were saying was simply this. 
You need to come and you need to give Him everything. You need to make sure and certain that you don't take anything off the altar when you leave it. You need to make sure and certain that you've confessed your sins and that you by faith have believed that Jesus Christ forgives you of your sins. And you need to know that more than you need to know anything else that you know. The psalmist David puts it in a most unique fashion. For in describing our relationship with Jesus, and you'll notice the text in question there in verse 12, he says, kiss the Son. The word Son there is capital letter S-O-N, referring to Jesus. He is simply saying that we need to make Jesus the ultimate object of our affection. So tonight, in the time that we have remaining, I want us to just take this little verse of Scripture apart and see if we measure up to what it's saying regarding our own personal relationship with Jesus. Let's notice, first of all, uh, that action word, the word kiss. Ah, the teenagers looked up when I said that. That's a popular word. But do you know what the real meaning of the word is? It's more than pucker power. It's it's more than something that you do with your lips. Oh, it is that, but it's much more than that. For if you study the original oriental meaning of the word kiss, you will discover that it simply means this. Whoever you kiss, you're saying to that person that they are receiving the ultimate expression of affection that they could have for you. There is nothing beyond that. When you kiss them, you're saying, you're the big deal in my life. You've come before anything and anyone else. I love you more than anyone or anything else. And you better understand that when it comes to our relationship with Christ and what David is saying here. But I think if we're going to really understand the word, it would be a good thing to discover what it doesn't mean. So let's back into it tonight. And let's see what it really doesn't mean. Now when you think of that word kiss, so often we attach emotion to the word. For when you kiss something, invariably, there's emotion attached to that kiss. Maybe even some measure of infatuation that you have toward that person who receives the kiss. I must confess to this congregation tonight that being the son of an evangelist, we traveled to camp meetings every summer when I was a kid and when I was a teenager. I can remember in 1963 when my dad drove onto this campground, I was in the car, and as soon as we got on the campground and we got settled, I was over there in the boys' dorm, and the first order of business was to check out the girl population. And I begin to scope out the possibilities. It was just a part of coming to camp. I mean, you had to have a girl to sit with in the tabernacle during the service. You'd just get more out of it if you had a girl sitting with you. 
I can remember in my life the very first time that the arrow of Cupid pricked my heart. It was at Knox Junior High School, seventh grade. On that particular day, I realized for the first time in my life that there was a difference between boys and girls. I walked into that part of the building there at the school that separated the dining hall from the library. And as I walked through the door that day, I looked up and coming through the door at the under end of the hallway was a beautiful young lady. And all of a sudden, something transpired inside of me. My heart began to palpitate. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. She was a goddess. She was gorgeous. Absolutely, incredibly beautiful. I was so stricken by her, I stopped dead in my tracks. And I watched her as she walked toward me. She smiled. And when she smiled, I almost fainted. And I knew right then and there that she was the one. As soon as school was over that day, I got on the bus and I drove back to the house where we were living at that time. My dad was pastoring the Pilgrim Holiness Church in Salisbury, North Carolina. And my dad was sitting in his office and I walked in my dad's office that afternoon and I said, Dad, can I talk to you just for a moment? He said, sure, son, come in. I said, Dad, I found her. Dad said, you found who? I said, I found the girl of my dreams. He said, really? Yeah, Dad. I'm going to marry her. Seventh grade. I'm going to marry her. He said, well, son... I am so glad you took time out of your planning to let me know. (laughs) And he said, Lane, who is this young lady? What is her name? (laughs) I don't know, but I'm going to find out. And about a month later, I came home with a similar story about a different girl. It was just infatuation. And sometimes I think, especially when we're young people, and I can remember going through this when I was a teenager at camp meeting, and I think it's also relevant to those of us who are older. There are sometimes we just become infatuated with the idea of being a Christian. Seems like the good thing to do. Seems like everybody else is doing it, so why don't I? And so we just kind of nestle up to the idea of being a Christian and it's purely emotional and those emotions you know they come and go you cannot trust emotions this word kiss is more than a good feeling this business of kissing the sun is more than an occasional emotional rise that we experience in our lives But then when you look at this word kiss, it's also a reward for actions which preceded the kiss. A kiss is a reward. Young men, I want you to listen up right here. I want to help you. 
I remember when I would find a young lady that was a likely candidate for a long-term relationship. I didn't casually, haphazardly, go about dating her. This was serious business. So the night that I was going to take her out, let's say a Saturday night, I would start early in the afternoon getting ready for my date that evening. First order of business was wash the car. I'd clean up the car. I'm a car guy. So my car had to just look just right. I'd clean up the car and I'd vacuum it inside and I'd even open the trunk and vacuum the trunk in case I had a flat tire. She'd be impressed with the clean back trunk. And I, I, I would wash the tires. I mean, you never clean up a car without cleaning the tires. I'd dress it up with armor all and, and make sure everything is just right about the car. I mean, first impressions are important. And when you drive up and she sees the car, I mean, that helps. And so after you do that, it's time to get me ready for the event. And so I go in and I do everything that the guys do to get ready, at least what we did in my day to get ready for a date. I'd take the shower. I'd get the hair going in the right direction. I would use the hairspray. I would put on my nicest outfit and I would stand there in front of the mirror. I'd make sure everything was just right. I'd make sure the clothes fit right. Make sure my, I would make sure about everything. And then, uh, and then I'd get in the car and you drive to her house. Now listen, guys. If you're going to do this right and you really want to impress her, please, please do not pull up in front of her house and honk the horn. Don't do that. You get out of the car and you go up. And young ladies, don't be waiting at the door. Make him knock on the door or ring the doorbell. Ring the doorbell and Mom and dad, or mom or dad, or both, or they come and open the door, and there you are. Oh, good evening. I've come to take your daughter out. Yes, Elaine, they've told me about this, or she's told me about this. Why don't you come in? We'd like to talk to you for a few moments. <laughs> All right. Girls, wait in the other room. And you try to prove for the next five minutes or so that you're sane. <laughs> and you're not going to do anything crazy. And finally, the young lady walks out. You get up. Stand up when a woman walks into the room. This is good. It impresses people. My, don't you look nice tonight. Compliments are always good. My, don't you look nice tonight. Thank you, she says. Then you turn to her mother and father. Um, 11 o'clock? 11.30. All right, 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock, I'll have her back by 11 o'clock. Nice to meet you. That's a good thing to say to parents. Nice to meet you. And then out to the car you go. Now listen. As you escort her out to the car, don't go around to the other side and get in by yourself. Open the door for her. Open the door for her and help her in. Then close the door behind her and go around behind the car and look through the back window. If she slides toward the steering wheel, you're already doing pretty good. 
And you get in the car. Now listen, if you're going to do this right, if you're going to do this right, don't take her to the Golden Arches for supper. <laughs> Save up your money. I'm trying to help you guys. Save up your money, take her to a nice place, and when you get to the restaurant, when you park the car, get out, run around, open the door for her, help her out, and then go up to the restaurant door, open the restaurant door for her, escort her in, and then when you're seated, be sure you pull the chair out for her and assist her in getting seated at the table, and then order for her. That's a good thing. Oh, that really impresses them. Ask them what they want to eat and then order for them. Wow. And then after the meal's over, back out of the car, open the car door for her, and then close the door behind her, walk around behind the car. If she slides toward the steering wheel, you're still doing good. And then you get in on your side of the car, and you're off. Now, I don't know what you do around here. I know what we did in North Carolina on a date night. Cruised Maine. Just rode up and down Main Street. It was an interesting experience. In our lives in those days? I, I don't know why we did it. I think it was to impress our friends, maybe with our car or our date. It would go something like this. <laughs> and you're just cruising Maine and you kind of want the lights to catch you. And you're sitting there. It's four-lane Main Street. You're sitting there. And your car's idling at the red light. And the guy pulls up over here. And, and you look at him. And you go, How you doing? <laughs> and then he says, he speaks. He says, Nice car. Thank you. What's under the hood? 327. Four barrels. Nice, he says. What kind of transmission you got? Hurst, four speed. Nice. And then he looks at my girl. And I say, nice. And we do this, oh, hour, until about 10.45, time to take her home. Now, when you get home with her, don't just let her out. Get out of the car, open the car door for her, walk her up the sidewalk to the front door. The moment of truth has arrived. <laughs> now, I'll be very candid with this congregation tonight. I didn't clean up my car and get all ready and spend money on dinner, burn out a half a tank of gas cruising Maine to walk away from this thing with a handshake. <laughs> and it... I don't know about you, but I mean, when, this, when the moment of truth would arrive, you try to position yourself. You, you 
try to make sure that you do this just right and you don't miss. You don't want to miss. And then finally, finally, after a moment, you say, well, I sure enjoyed our time together tonight. And she goes, well, I did too. I hope we can do this again someday. Well, I do too. And then you just kind of go. And, and then when she turns just right at you, you just go, Mwah! I mean, just lay it right there on her. It was worth the car wash. It was worth getting ready. It was worth whatever you spent for the dinner. It was worth spending out a half a tank of gas. I mean, that one kiss, I mean, it was incredible. You worked hard for it. Put a lot of time into getting that kiss. It was worth it. You say, Len, what's that got to do with what you're talking about tonight? Here's what it's got to do with what I'm talking about tonight. He said, kiss the sun. He said, make Jesus Christ the object of your affection. And we must understand that there is nothing you can do. There is no amount of work that you can accomplish. There is no amount of church business that you can take care of. There is no amount of ministry in which you can be involved that's going to take the place of making Jesus Christ the ultimate object of your affection. He has got to be the passion. He's got to be the one that makes you want to get up every day. He's got to be the one that is first on your list. He is number Number one, and that's why David said, kiss the sun. Make him the ultimate object of your affection. And you can't work into that. You can't do enough good works for that to happen. You've got to have an act of the will that allows Jesus Christ to come. And you, by an act of the will, you'll invite him into your life. And by an act of the will, you say, I want you to forgive me of my sins. By an act of the will, you say, I want you to forgive me uh, and I want to repent of all of my sins and I want to give my life to you. I want to kiss the Son. Make Him the ultimate object of your affection. But then there are some. It's, it's not emotion. It's not infatuation. It's, it's not a reward for actions which preceded the kiss. For some, when you think of that word kiss... It's an act of respect. An act of respect. My mother and dad are in heaven. And I shared with the group over at Dan's church on Sunday morning about what it was like to go home when my mom and dad were alive and just to be with my mom. I mean, some of you knew my mother. She was an incredible saint of God. She loved the Lord. She prayed for me. And I, one of the reasons I'm standing here tonight is because of the faithfulness of my mom to pray for me. And every time I would see this godly woman who was my mother, I would, the, when I would see her after being apart from her for a period of time, I would walk up to her and I'd look at her. Just mom and me had this unique relationship. Her name was Pearl Elizabeth Loman. And I was the only child of five that did this. It was just me and mom. I called my mom affectionately Pearl. Not mom or mother. Pearl. And whenever I'd be away from my mother for a long period of time, I can remember coming home and she would open the door 
as I was preparing to walk into the back door of the house there in Salisbury where they lived, she would open the door. And I'd look at my mom. 98 pounds soaking wet. Little French twist bun in the back of her head. Little cotton print dress. She'd be wearing an apron. And she'd open the door. And I would say, Hi, Pearl. She'd say, Hi, son. And I would reach over and take her face in my hands. And I would plant a kiss on her tiny forehead. I wanted my mother to know what she meant to me. It was out of respect that I did that because my mother lived an incredibly good and godly life before me. I respected the stand she took for God. I respected her knowledge of the Word of God. I respected her, her prayer life. But you know something tonight? That kiss of respect that I placed on my mother's forehead would have meant nothing, nothing to my mom if she didn't know down deep in her heart I loved her. You can respect God. You may never take the name of God in vain. You may never damn the name of God. You may never talk about God in a negative way. You may respect this camp. You may respect these workers. You may respect everything that sign stands for. You can respect all you care to respect. But until you've kissed the sun, respect is not enough. Until you've made Jesus Christ the ultimate object of your affection, respect is not enough. Kiss the sun. The object of the, the action. Kiss the sun. But do you realize that the word kiss can also be disrespectful? Go to, with me to the Garden of Gethsemane. And watch, watch, watch him. Here he comes. He's coming at the front of a mob. See him? He's coming. They've got torches. It's mob rule. Here's Jesus. Here's his disciples. They're standing there. And here he comes, Judas, leading the mob. And he walks up to Jesus and does what? He kissed him. A sign of affection became an action of denial, an action of turning Jesus in, so to speak. We can say that we love him, but if our actions don't back it up. Let me ask you something. Do your actions back up the reality of kissing the sun? Kiss the sun. Kiss the sun. Let him be the ultimate object of your affection. 
The question that must be asked tonight is who or what is the object of your affection? What is your passion? What comes first in your life? I mean, what is the big deal? You don't have to be around a person very long to find out what the big deal is in their life. Give me 15 minutes with anybody. Not that I have the gift of discernment, but just give me a little while with anybody and it's not long until you find out what their passion is. Kiss the son in the natural. Many of us have kissed the family. The family's the big deal. We make the family our God. We put the family first. But I'm reminded what Jesus Christ had to say about that. He said, if you don't love me more than mother, father, sister, brother, yea, even your own life also, you cannot be a disciple of mine. Some people will kiss stuff. The big deal is having stuff. And they've gone to great lengths to have the best, to accumulate anything they think they need in order to make life more meaningful. So stuff becomes the object of their affection. Some of you, and I, I have to be careful in this area. We've kissed our cell phones. And we've made them such an intricate part of our lives that we think we can't get along without them. The stuff of life that we have made the object of our affection. But even in the spiritual realm, we can allow the church to be the object of our affection. We think maybe if I'm a part of the church, I've been a part of the church for years, we might think. And as long as that's going on, then I'm all right spiritually. Uh, But just being a part of the church is not enough. Some of us will kiss the denomination. Uh, We're third, fourth, fifth generation, this or that denomination. And we think that's the big deal. Uh, Some of us, we uh, will kiss the music. We think, Music is the big deal, uh, and I'm going to let music be my life. And we just kiss all of these things. That when everything is said and done, they mean nothing. Kiss the sun. But let's quickly bring this to a close. Notice the consequences if you kiss the wrong thing. What happens when you kiss the wrong thing? It says right there. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you. And you perish. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you, and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Oh, I know. We live in a 21st century spiritual environment where everybody wants to hear about the love of God. And they should hear about the love of God for God's soul of the world. And we want to tell them that message. But I would be but half a preacher tonight if I didn't preach the whole counsel of God. And the Bible tells us that if we don't make Jesus the ultimate object of our affection, then God, uh, as a result of our rejection of His Son, is going to be angry with us. Have you ever had... Anybody angry at you? Do you know what it's like to feel the fire of somebody's anger in your life? I was six years old. 
I was six years old, and my birthday fell in October. So I started school when I was almost seven. We didn't have kindergarten back in those days. And so I was almost seven years old when I started school. And so I was six years old. My brothers and my sister, with the exception of my youngest brother, were at school. This particular afternoon, I was bored. Nobody to play with. And then along about three o'clock, I knew that my cousins were at home. They lived across the field, across the road. Their mom could drive and pick them up from school. So they got home earlier than my brothers and my sister. Because my mother didn't drive, and my mother and my brother, brothers and sister had to ride the bus. So there I was, nothing to do, no one to play with. So I knew my cousins were at home, and so I went to my mother that afternoon, and I said, Mom, can I, can I go over to Michael, Dennis, and Kenneth's house? Those were my cousins. And my mother said, No, Lane, you cannot go. Your dad is coming home early today from his responsibilities. And then we as a family are going to go out tonight. And I don't want you going out playing. You'll get dirty. Well, you know what six-year-olds do. But mom, I don't have anything to do. Let me go. I'll go over there. I promise. I won't get dirty. In the back of my mind, I was going to play baseball. But I'm not going to get dirty. And my mother said, Lane, no, you cannot go. Soon as mother disappeared into another part of the house, I escaped out the back door, across the backyard, through the garden area, up to the big red embankment, down the big red embankment, across Highway 29, over to my cousin's house, thinking all the while, I'll get over here, I'll play ball, Mom won't know where I'm at, she knows I go out and play by myself sometime, and so nobody will be worse off, so I'll play, I'll get back home before my dad gets home. That's what I was thinking. Michael, Dennis, and Kenneth come out. We start playing baseball. The baseball field is right out in front of their house next to Highway 29 that would lead up to the exit that would go to our house. I'm having a time of my life playing ball with my cousins. I scooped up a ground ball, and I was ready to throw out the runner at first base. And I heard a horn blow. And I turned, and to my horror, it was my dad. But dad didn't know I wasn't supposed to be where I was. And he just waved. And I went, Hi, dad. I got to go. And I took off running. I ran across Highway 29, up the big red embankment, through the garden area on the back of our property, and I got to the back corner of our yard, and Dad had gotten home, found out I wasn't supposed to be where I was, and he came out of the back door of our house with anything but love written on his face. And I saw my dad, and I knew that I was going to catch it. And so I knew that if I was going to avoid 
getting a good solid thrashing from my dad, I was going to have to hide. And so I saw at, the, at my feet right there in the back of the backyard, there were two logs parallel to one another, and I dove for those logs. And I landed face down. And I've always been biologically thin. And so I just kind of snuggled up into those logs so you couldn't see me. And then I, I, I maneuvered over until I was on my back. So I'm, I'm lying there like this, and I, I can hear my dad. Lane! Where are you? He knew I wasn't at Uncle Walt and Aunt Moline's. Where are you? I could tell in the tone of his voice that he wasn't happy with me. As a matter of fact, it was so obvious. I made up my mind. I was going to spend the rest of my life between those two logs. (laughs) And so I'm lying there trying to figure out how I'm going to get food. What I would do if it rained. Then I heard my mother join in. Then Daddy really got upset. He used both names. Harold Lane, where are you? This went on for about 35, 40 minutes. (laughs) And the intensity grew in my dad's voice. And finally, our neighbor, Ruth Scott, Her husband ran the little store not far from her house. She heard all the ruckus up at the Loman place, and she comes out and she says, Reverend Loman, who are you looking for? She said, he said, Ruth, we're looking for Lane. Have you seen him? She said, well, he's right up there between those two logs in the backyard. I stood up, paused for a moment, and looked toward Ruth. I thought it, didn't say it. You wait till Halloween, Ruth. I walked toward the back of the house. Nobody nobody needed to tell me what to do next. I walked into that house. Walked up the stairs, into my room, sat down on the bed and waited. And my dad arrived. Took off that belt and doubled it. And my dad whipped me within an inch of my life. At least that's what I thought. I never did at that time believe that old saying, it hurts me more than it hurts you, because he just about killed me. (laughs) And then when all that was done, I delayed the family outing. And we got in the car. All seven of us. And I'm sitting on the edge of the back seat, (laughs) for obvious reasons. And my chin's resting on the back of the front seat, right next to my dad's head. 
and I'm snubbing. You ever cried so much you snub? <laughs> that kind of a thing. And my dad just kind of tilted his head toward me. And he said, son, I didn't enjoy that. Then I saw a tear well up in his eye and trickle down his cheek. He said, but son, if I'd have let you get away with that, it wouldn't have been long until I wouldn't have been able to handle you. And I said, I know, Dad. I thought my dad was so angry at me. But in reality, he loved me. And I tell you that true story out of my life to emphasize the final thought. If I thought that my dad was angry at me, if you think somebody, when they get upset with you and their anger is demonstrated towards you, if you think that's bad, kiss the sun lest he be angry. Why on earth would anyone walk over the love of Jesus? Why would any teenager that's heard enough gospel that some of you have heard to save a world walk away from the sun? Why would you resist? Why would you want to put yourself in danger of his anger. Wouldn't it be much better to embrace his love for you? Kiss the sun. I like the last line of the verse. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Father, we've had... We've had a good time tonight. We've laughed together. But I pray that the message will overshadow the humor. I pray, Father, that for that young person that's sitting here tonight that's never really kissed the sun, that young adult that's never made you the ultimate object of their affection, That adult that might be here tonight that's never really come clean before God. Oh, they're around the church, come to camp meeting, but they've never really kissed the Son. They've never really made Him the ultimate object of their affection. I pray in these next few moments we would kiss the Son. Kiss the Son. Make Him the object of your affection. Put Him first in your life. Kiss the Son.
let me ask one question. We're going to see him one more time. Then we'll go from there. I'm not trying to unchristianize anybody. Have you truly made a clear-cut decision to make Jesus Lord of your life? Nobody can answer that for you. That's as personal a question as you'll ever have asked. Have you ever really made a clear-cut decision to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life? Why not? If you haven't, why not? Kiss the Son. Lest He be angry with you and you perish from the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. And sing it again. This time we'll stand and sing it. Pray together. If you could come in and kneel with some of these. There's a dear lady here. that would, It would be good if some of the ladies could come and just kneel in supportive prayer. That would be great. And we've got some precious young people here. 
young man came. I haven't seen him here at the camp before tonight. He came. We're going to pray that God will give him great victory. Amen. Still need some ladies to come and help us right here with this lady. Would you come? Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, let's pray. If you need to slip out at the conclusion of the prayer, don't feel badly. Feel free to do that. But be aware that we're still down here praying. Thank you. Father, it's been a good night. Any night's good with you. But it's been especially meaningful for us to be able to hear the songs that we've heard. Our lives have been blessed by music. Wonderful, Father, to see people respond to the Word of God. And the question of the hour is, have we made a clear-cut decision of the will to let Jesus be Lord of our lives? To kiss the Son. Thank you for these who responded. I pray right now, Father, you would meet their need. Right now, may the Spirit of God bear witness with their spirit. I pray, Father, that you would come and give them that inside assurance that the work of grace that's available for them has been done. May they exercise their faith Trust you. Trusting you is the key aspect of this. We're not looking for some emotional feeling. We're trusting you to do what you've already said you would do. And we claim that by faith, and then we walk in the Word of God. Lord, here we come to the weekend. Just three more services. And there's still work to do. Thank you for the work that's being done now. I pray your protection upon those who are here as they travel to their homes or as we remain on the ground. I was thinking about that today, Father. So thankful that we've not heard of any serious injury of anybody during the camp. Thank you for that. Give victory here. May it be real. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And God bless you tonight. Thank you so much for being here.